Alrighty, uh, so let's bring it back. I want a few answers. So from the first question, what were some of the answers you shared about the qualities that make a good friend? Yeah, just blurt it out. Hugs and prayerful, interesting, okay. Uh, keep going. Trust, someone who, what do you mean by that? Okay, so you, are you saying that they are worthy of trusting? Okay, so what, what, does that mean that they're like dependable? Like they say what they're gonna, they do what they say they're gonna do. Uh, something like that, what else? Oh, that's a really good one. So they stand up for you. They're like a loyal friend. Um, they will kind of defend you. What else? Helps you clean up your messes. Up your messes. <laughs> that made, okay, that, this is really weird. Um, this made me think of something really morbid. And I'm kind of wondering whether I should say it or not, but I'm just going to say it. Uh, so there is, there is a really terrible story about a man who murdered his girlfriend. And then later on at the court hearing, uh, his mom was brought to the stand, and they brought evidence that his mom had written in him a letter, which was a burn-after-reading letter. This was before he went on this trip with his girlfriend, and then she was killed. Um, she wrote a letter to him before the trip happened, and she said, burn this letter after reading it, and apparently he didn't, and on it she said, I love you so much, you are my son, nothing will ever stop my love for you, I'll even bury a body for you. It was really brutal, really brutal. Anyway, so, so that's what Anna is saying. A good friend will bury, just, just kidding. Other answers, other answers. Good listener, yeah. Okay, let's go to the other side. What makes someone a terrible friend? My huh? My qualities. Okay, now we're going to talk about this because um, I think, you know, I don't know if you're, you're probably joking to some degree, but you're also serious. And I think this is actually really important to think about. It's really easy to say someone else treats me really well, like they're a great friend. It's really hard and difficult and sometimes painful to reflect how good of a friend am I to other people. But, but, let's, but let's, we'll get into that. Uh, so what else? What are qualities that make someone a terrible friend? Selfish? Yeah, so what do you mean by selfish? Yeah, so I really, really like that answer. And that's what we're actually going to be going a lot with that answer. So um, we're going to talk today about love. Yeah. <laughs> now, the reason you're saying ew is because you think I'm talking about a specific type of love. And, you know, maybe just to make you squirm, I'll talk about that a little bit. But that's not the type of love we're going to talk about. Uh, what I want to talk about is love in real life. When you say ew, you're probably talking about, like, chick flick love or whatever it might be. Um, so let me, let me paint you a picture. Um, every single Korean drama, every single rom-com goes something like this. Oh yeah, there's a strong, independent, working woman who's too busy for love, and then she accidentally runs into a cute intern who's bumbling and like, oh no, he spills coffee on her, and then she's like, oh my gosh, I got coffee, and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, so sorry. And then she thought she was too busy for love, but all of a sudden, feelings are kindled, right? And then something happens, right? And will they or won't they? That's, that's one view of what love is like. And maybe that's potentially the thing we think about when we think about love. Um, 
When you look at love in real life, that is a very narrow view of love that has to do with romance, that generally has to do with certain parts in the timeline of a love relationship with someone. Um, so anyway, I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to talk about this, but you made me do it. Okay, so we're going to talk about stories, right? Um, there are two types of stories that are really popular in K-dramas and movies. There's the will-they-won't-they they story of will they get together or will they not. And then at the end of the story, they get together or they don't get together, and then the story stops. And then there's a different type of story, which has to do with disconnection, right? Where there are people who are together, and then they stop being together. And now I want you to ask yourself this question. Why are these two stories so common? Why are the vast majority of movies, shows, etc., about either this one or that one? Why is it? It brings people in to watch it, but why is it like appealing to people? Because of the format it's made in? Sure. Because it's interesting. Because it's dramatic. Because change happens. But do you know what they don't generally show you in the movie? Um, the love in real life in the middle. This is like married person love. This is like parenting love. This is friendship love when things are really, really mundane and difficult. Like, this is, this is like the love of a spouse who is caring for their, um, their, their spouse who has like a chronic illness. These things are not glamorous. Let me use another example of what love looks like in real life. Um, being a parent, uh, not me, my wife. She is a great example of what love in real life looks like. It is not glamorous. It doesn't always feel awesome. My wife has spent hundreds, if not a thousand hours pumping milk for my baby. Now, when you think about love, you generally think about the glamorous aspects of it. But what I want to suggest to you is the Bible's view of love is love in real life. And when I was asking you about the questions about what makes someone a good friend, um, I want us to think about the quality of our relationships, in particular, the quality of how I, Daniel, am a friend to the people around me. How do I love people around me? Uh, and if this wasn't, if you don't understand how important this is, this is like everything. This is really everything. If you want to know how to have a good relationship with someone, um, if you want to be a good friend to them, if you want to be a good significant other, to them, there's so much you can learn from this passage about what love looks like. And what I would suggest to you is love is both gritty, mundane, ordinary, painful, sacrificial, but in that ordinariness, it is beautiful and good and meaningful. And this is the, the thing that really changes people. Just the ordinary, consistent, love over a long period of time. And this is actually the picture of love in this passage. So we're in Galatians. Let me read to you um, our passage for today. It's a really brief passage, but we're going to see a lot about the definition and practice of love. We're going to see the impossibility of this view of love, and then we're going to see how it's possible, okay? So what love is, what it looks like in practice, how difficult, how impossible this love is, and then how you get there, how you actually put this love into practice, okay? So three things. Let me read our passage for you. 
This is Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. So just a few passages, or just a few verses. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us uh, what it looks like to love. Um, I pray, Father, that as we experience your grace and your love for us, you would be growing in our hearts by your spirit the fruit of love that would really bless the people around us. I pray you would help us uh, die to ourselves and go through the painful death of loving someone, knowing that uh, you promise to resurrect us, you promise to do something amazing through our sacrifice, just as you did with Jesus. Um, So I pray you would give us faith to love the people around us, even people who are difficult. Um, You would make us into good friends, good family, good husbands, uh, parents, etc. We really love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, I got to give my, um, I got to qualify this uh, before I get into this. As I was preparing, I'm just like, I don't always know what you guys think about me, uh, but the way that I view myself relationally is I am a super relational dummy. I really believe this. I blame my parents, but also I just lack common relational sense. And so my whole life, I've been like this. It's really weird. It's really weird. So, and, and some of you guys are like looking at me and you're like, oh, I know, Daniel. <laughs> I know you're a dummy. But like, I, I think that I have changed a lot over time. But I could give you a lot of examples of this. So the youth group example that all the kids like is um, I was a freshman in college and I started to discover I was interested in a girl. Yeah, I was interested in her. And then I discovered that she was also interested in me. Wow, I know, right? And so we were doing all kinds of cute stuff that you do in college, like, um, I, like I'm not a morning person, but all of a sudden, oh, I'm waking up early in the morning to eat breakfast with her in the cafeteria. And then like, oh my gosh, it's raining outside, but let's get a group of friends and play ultimate Frisbee. And so we're like running around in the rain at night, we're throwing Frisbee, everyone's like having a great time. Um, so it was at the end of my uh, freshman year in college, and then the semester ended, and we t- had told each other we liked each other, and then a month and a half passed, and I was doing whatever I was doing, and then I received a letter from the girl. Uh, she re- wrote me a letter, and she said, Daniel, I clearly am not that important to you because you didn't deem it necessary to communicate with me a single time for a month and a half. We're over. And many of you are looking at me and like, wow, you're really dumb. I know, that's what I'm saying. I'm super dumb. I'm super dumb when it comes to relationships. Because like Uncle Chris was saying, like, I, it's so easy for me to be out of sight, out of mind. I am so self-centered And I'm not even doing it out of spite. I'm not even doing it intentionally. But it is a real issue. It's a real issue to make my desires, to make myself be the most important thing in the world. 
And so this is so incredible because this is the opposite of love. And this is the opposite of the love that we see here. Um, now, I think I've gotten better over time. And to be married, to be a parent is an excellent training ground for learning how to be other-centered. So you could, here, here's some more ways that I'm really dumb in relationships. And Ashley, you, sh you should go talk to my wife, Ashley, after service and ask her to tell me, tell you all the stories of all the ways that I'm dumb as a husband or dumb as a whatever. Um, but here's a few more. Um, so uh, there have been many times in a relationship where we have fought over food. So I am a super dummy. Like, w there is this one time we were at a Vertigo retreat and we were eating, uh, we were eating breakfast. And so this was at Ken and Ann's uh, parents' house in Seaside. And basically, she had like, she, we were finishing up her food and she had like a piece of bacon on her plate. And I thought it'd be really funny if I stole her bacon and put it in my mouth and I'm like, ha ha ha, isn't that funny? It was not funny. <laughs> it was not funny to her. <laughs> she was not in the least bit amused. And like, I feel like that's a picture of what it can look like uh, where if you prioritize your own needs and your own desires over the other person, and honestly, it's in many cases our default mode of operating, um, you will just fail. <laughs> you will fail miserably in your relationship. Um, now, you might be saying, that's so obvious, Daniel, that's so easy, like, everyone knows that. But is it really that easy, okay? It might be easy to put this into practice uh, when things are going well, but are you willing to do it when it is costly to yourself? Are you willing to, and this is the big rub of it, many of us think that um, we have competing in impulses and desires in our life where this, this one is so big, uh, we want to have our own autonomy. You know what autonomy is, right? It's your ability to choose to do what you want when you want. And yet, we also want to be a good friend, spouse, etc. We want love. We want healthy relationships. We want autonomy. Do you see how these two things are on a collision course for each other? If you don't know what I'm saying here and you haven't experienced the agony of trying to have your autonomy and also trying to love someone, then you clearly haven't been, I don't know, like maybe you just never have been in a relationship like with a significant other or you've never, but even, even as a kid, if, you're, if you have parents, you experience this tension, right? There's an impulse in you where it's like, I want to love my parents, but I want to get them off my back so I can do what I wanna do because they're trying to control me and yet I still love them and yet they're controlling me, what do I do? All relationships are like this. And so it's so important to understand the Christian vision of love and to look at how Paul defines love. Because if you understand this, you're getting close to the heart of what Christianity is. Um, up until this point in the book of Galatians, we've talked a lot about freedom and slavery. We've said that Paul says, for freedom Christ has set you free. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul is saying, it is very possible for people who have experienced the freedom of being a Christian to go back into slavery, and it's not what you think. It's religious rules. It's the obligation to do everything perfect for God so he will accept you. That is what we often go back into, and we lose our slavery. So what Paul has been arguing is, as a believer, you are free from guilt, 
because of what Jesus Christ did for you, for you. You are free from shame. You are even free from the obligation to do things for God. Isn't that crazy? You're free from the obligation to do it because you are saved by what Christ did. But here's the, here's, here's the, other, the other side of it. Um, there is a thing called negative freedom where it's like you are free to do whatever you want, but then there's positive freedom, which is you are free to do something. I don't know if you got me. This is like a philosophical concept. Uh, you, are, uh, you might be free to play, uh, Gianna, what's like a super hard piano piece by a classical composer? What's, what's the piece that like you can't play because it's too, diff I don't know, can you just, huh? Rush E, is that, is that a tough one? Sure, okay. Hungarian Rhapsody, whatever it is. So you are free to play Hungarian Rhapsody, but you are not able to. You can't do it. You are free from the restriction of there's no one holding a gun to your head saying you cannot play this song, but you're not able to do it. And so in order to do it, you have to submit yourself and restrict yourself to practicing day after day after day until you achieve mastery and the freedom to not only play the piece, but to express yourself emotionally, to express the musicality of the instrument, to express your musicality through the piece. Um, that is the freedom to do something. And so up until this point, we've been saying, you are free from this, you are free from this. Don't let people coerce you. Don't let people guilt, uh, guilt trip you. Don't be, feel pressure to do anything for God because what God really cares about is that you know you are loved and accepted because of what Jesus Christ did. So then we're like, okay, so then what do I do with my life? Do I just sit here and be like, thanks, God. Thanks, I'm so free. I don't know what to do with myself. No, there is a freedom to something. And Paul says that here. He says this, you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. So he's reminding us, you are called to be free. And then he says, but, so he's drawing a contrast, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love, serve one another. So he is making a comparison between two fundamental orientations to your relationships. On one hand, uh, there's basically there's a person who uh, says, I am free to do what I want, and I'm going to do the bare minimum to get this person off my back in the relationship, right? Like every opportunity that arises, I want to do what I want to do. So let me use some examples of this. Um, you, you might, like, if you're single, you don't even know, like, you don't realize how much unilateral freedom you have to make decisions. But once you become, you get in a relationship with someone, all of a sudden everything changes. Uh, let me give you some examples. Uh, what, do we, what do you want to get for dinner tonight? Before, you were like, I want Taco Bell every single time, because that was me. But all of a sudden, Ashley doesn't like Taco Bell, so what are we going to eat? I don't know. This has made things very complicated because now I have to like compromise. I have to let her have her way and I can't just choose to do whatever I want. Another example. Um, so uh, in having a kid is very tiring. It's really, really amazing. Um, and when I think about have every, uh, uh, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What this makes me think about is as parents, you are constantly craving space where you can shut off that nurture action and just do what you want because it is very rare to, like, very hard to come by. Um, do you kind of know what I mean? Like, you're constantly meeting the, the needs of your kid 
And some, at some point, you're just like, dude, I need a break. And so for me, I like get my Nintendo Switch and I play a game called Slay the Spire. And I'm like, every opportunity I have when I'm not like, you know, taking care of the kid or like doing my responsibilities, or whatever, I wanna like, ugh, I just wanna like sit down and, and veg out. Like, I, I put on a show that I like only half watch and listen to, and I play a video game, and I do that at the same time. That's a picture of what it looks like um, where you have this craving to meet your own desires and needs. On the other hand, Paul defines love by, the, by this contrast, the opposite of, like Uncle Chris was saying, self-centeredness, always wanting your way, is this, through love, serve one another. This is actually a really beautiful definition of what love looks like in real life. When you watch the rom-com, you think love is like, I don't know, like eating great meals together and laughing and there's like a montage and everyone is dressed really nice with expensive clothing and they're cruising around in the city with their, whatever. It's like this really fantastical fantasy world of love. But that's not what love is like. Love looks like serving someone. And this word for serving is, in the, in the word itself, you have this understanding where a servant loses their autonomy, right? So if you think about, um, you think about serving someone, doing an action to help them, what, what has to happen? You have to say, I'm going to sacrifice my effort, my attention, my time to do something for this other person so that they can thrive or that they can you know, have a great meal. So a chef is serving someone by you know, waking up early in the morning and doing all of this prep work and then when the person comes in, they take their order, they go through the hard effort, all of the years of training, everything that they've done in their whole life is in service of this customer who is coming in. That's a picture of service, right? And so Paul is saying, out of your love for this person, serve them. Honestly, if you wanna know how to be a good boyfriend, think about it this way. Do what you can to serve your girlfriend. If you want to be a good girlfriend, how can I serve my boyfriend? What actions can I take that are in some sense self-sacrificial to show love and care for the other person? Um, so uh, I don't want to use, all, like, okay, I don't want to toot my own horn, but uh, one, the, like, my life being married to Ashley for, it's been more than five years now, has changed a lot. Uh, before, I used to steal her bacon. Now, when I go somewhere, I'm thinking about what bacon I can get her. I don't, I don't actually get her bacon, but I get her like a boba. And then I, I challenge you, if you were to ask, if you were to shout out a fast food restaurant, I probably could tell you what Ashley would want me to get her. I probably could. Do you see how that's very different? I went from, I have no clue what she likes, it's all about my desires, what I want, to my knee-jerk reaction when I, whenever I pass by a happy lemon, there's a part of me that thinks, I wonder if Ashley wants happy lemon or boba or like teaspoon or whatever it might be. And so a lot of the times I'll stop and I'll get her a drink and bring it home. That's good husbanding. You know, like that's what it looks like, but it is a sacrifice. Like I have to wait in line, pay money, interrupt my time, like all this stuff, all this stuff. It can be often an inconvenience, but that's what it looks like to love people in the real world. And so when you're thinking about friendship, are you able to go outside of how you're feeling in any given moment and make it entirely about the other person? Uh, so uh, Jeff gave the example of listening. A good friend is someone who's able to listen to the other person. 
you all know the type of friend who makes it all about them. And I can give you like very specific kind of descriptions of what one way of listening looks like. So you're listening to your friend and they say, oh yeah, I went to Disneyland and you're, like they're talking about their trip and then you're like, oh, that reminds me of the time when I went to Disneyland. And then I had so much fun and then all of a sudden you made the conversation about yourself and then you didn't listen to them at all. But to listen to someone is to say, I'm genuinely curious. I want you to have the floor, to have the stage, and I just want to hear what like, has been going on with you. And that's a way we feel loved. When we're able to share our lives with people and they genuinely listen, they ask follow-up questions, they don't hog the spotlight, that's good friendship. That's serving someone, right? Now, so this is important for friendship. It's important for romantic relationships. It's important for parenting. It's important for all of these different things. I just want you to know, like, if you have not considered the other person as a real person who has desires and interests and a life apart from you, you are still in the area of self-centeredness, and it'll be hard for you to form relationships with people. Um, another way that this looks, um, later on in verse um, 15, we see kind of the difficulty of uh, the difficulty and the danger to love that comes through self-centeredness. It's a really interesting phrase. He says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So on one hand, Paul says, through love, serve one another. There's a mutuality where these groups of people are all looking for the interests of the other person. And so, you know, like you're playing, a, you're playing basketball and you, like, you all know that there's two different types of basketball players. There's the one person who just always wants to take their shot. Like they will never pass the ball. They're a black hole. And then there's the other type of person who is willing to like help the team succeed by looking to the interests of the other person. So Sophia is like this. Sophia sacrifices her body <laughs> to dive on the floor to get the ball for the good of the team, right? And that's actually a really beautiful picture of service through love. Out of your care for the group, you sacrifice something of yourself um, to help everyone else. But in this passage, 15, he says, if you bite and devour one another, so instead of giving, self-giving, this is self-getting, right? When you're, and he uses the language of animals, where an, it's the law of the jungle. A lion bites and devours a gazelle. The lion wants something from the gazelle, they chomp it, they get it. And then he's saying this is actually, honestly, often a default way we interact with each other, where it's all about what you can get from that person. Uh, so some of you might be objecting to everything I've been saying so far uh, because there's been kind of like a common, um, this is kind of like pop psychology, I guess. This is something I've heard from many people. Um, there's an idea that in order to protect your mental health, you need to remove toxic people from your life. Do you guys kind of know what I'm talking about here? Um, now, I think there are probably plenty of examples where this is an appropriate thing to do. Like, talk to Yvonne. Like, she's a counselor. She's a professional counselor. So she can help you identify whether these people are toxic or whatever and how to respond to it. But what I what notice is this doesn't just apply to the most like toxic relationships in your life, you start to apply this framework on everyone, where you all know the type of person who's like, um, they act really nice to you, 
uh, when you first meet them, but then they, like, you, you start telling them about yourself, and then you can kind of see their eyes starting to glaze over. Like, they kind of lose interest in you. You're not, like, witty or charming or attractive enough, and so they lose interest, and they just, like, cast you aside. You don't bring any benefit to me. You're out of here. There are people who interact with each other like this. You bite and devour. There are people, you are just using people to get something that you want. And this happens in a wide variety of ways. Uh, you're using someone to make you feel a certain way. You're using someone because they give you some kind of business benefit. You're using someone because they make you feel good. Now this is really, this is like, honestly, in many romantic relationships, it's really about you, right? Like, I like feeling attractive to someone, therefore I want to be in a relationship with them. But that's not love in real life, because let me tell you this, I think I'm great, but my, my wife does not always find me attractive. <laughs> what I mean by that is I'm not always charming, I'm not always likable, I'm self-centered. And so love that only is about you, the other person's usefulness is biting and devouring each other. And this can, the other way this can happen is um, because relationships are difficult, there's the great YouTube song like, I can't live with or without you. Like, you want romantic relationships, you want love, but at the same time, that, that only hit like, you know, 50 years and older. I saw two older men who responded to me there. No one else knows what U2 is. Um, but the, the, it kind of illustrates a point where we want relationships, but we are sim simultaneously repulsed by relationships. Because real love, love in real life is painful and difficult, and you experience rejection and hurt from each other as a parent, as a husband, you will experience hurt and rejection from the other person, and if the moment they hurt you and no longer benefit you, you cast them off, this is no foundation to have a lasting good relationship. Instead, think what Paul says, what is love? Love is serving one another, doing actions of love for the other person. And so uh, there's a author named C.S. Lewis who I love, and he has a really brilliant kind of practical advice for us in the moments when we want to love someone, but we don't feel it. Um, he basically says, don't bother whether you love someone, but act as though you did, and then you will find your feelings of love will respond. You get me? If you don't feel like you love someone, serve them. Do something for them, and then as you consistently do it for that person, you'll find you start to like them. And so this is actually really true in my life. So, uh, like, I'm a pastor. I don't know if you guys realize this. I'm a pastor, and so uh, in some sense, I'm, like, required to love people. I'm, I'm, like, required to love people. And sometimes when I meet, I'm not talking about any of you, or am I? Uh, sometimes when I spend time with people, Ashley's like, I don't know how you do that. That person is so annoying to me. And she'll just say that, right? I don't know how you spent two and a half hours talking to them. Um, none of you in the room. Uh, but the, the reason why is because I don't find them to be annoying anymore. Maybe I did at some point, And maybe they irritate me at, at different moments. But I have decided, like, I, I truly believe what the Bible says. I truly believe that like letting go of my preferences and doing actions of love for this person who I find to be difficult 
is actually a better way of living than to cast them off because they don't meet my needs. It really is. And then what's so cool is, as I spend time with them, um, I start to like them, and I enjoy their quirks. And then I also realize, like, I'm very quirky. They're, like, there are ways that I'm irritating to all of y'all. And it's, that's the way we are. That's the way we are. But this is a much better way of living. Through love, serve one another. And then Paul goes on, and he continues to define what love is. And this is really, really profound. Um, I, if you guys just get one thing from this passage, I want you to think through this word that Paul talks about. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is absolutely mind-boggling, but it might be so familiar to you that you completely miss the force of it. So let me try to unpack this little phrase. How does Paul define a healthy relationship, a good relationship with your friend, with your parents, with your significant other, with your kids? Um, you shall love that person as you love yourself. What do you think this means? This is not just like pie in the sky. It's not just like dream love. This is extraordinarily practical, and it has to do with what we said before, love expressed through actions of service for the person. Um, I want you to think for a second all the effort that you make to meet your own needs, right? I want you to think about all the ways you love yourself. It is so intuitive. Like, you are the center of the world. Everything in your life is through your own perspective, right? And so when you feel hungry, what do you do? You go get food. When you are tired, what do you do? You play video games, and then you go to sleep, and then you don't get enough sleep. That, whatever. You do what you want, right? It is so instinctive and natural. What else do you do? You plan your career. You take steps. You make prudent investments. You try to do what you can to help your future self succeed, right? So all of this effort, all of this planning is all dedicated towards loving yourself, getting into a good college, getting a good job, all of these things. And this passage is saying all of the creative energy and effort and time and attention that you spend meeting your needs, love this other person in that same way. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? If you take this seriously, if you really do, right off the bat you'll see how this is absolutely impossible, right? It is absolutely impossible to do this. If you take it really, really seriously, because I am limited as a human, right? This is like, and, and you might even object to this definition of love. Um, so let me use another example, like the, uh, when you're on the airplane, they always say, oh, if the oxygen masks come down, what do you have to do? You have to put on your own oxygen mask first so that you can help your kid. That is a wise thing to do, but if you try to apply that to all your relationships, that will never work. Um, and yet it's impossible. Like, so, uh, like, if you're a husband and you're not feeling it because your baby didn't sleep for very long, and you're really tired, and you had a long day at work, and your wife is like, dude, I need some time for myself. Can you watch the kid? And you're like, I would love to, but I have to put on my oxygen mask first. I need to take care of my own needs, and then maybe I can watch the baby when I'm fully recovered, when I'm well-rested, you know. Is that a good way to operate <laughs> as a parent in a relationship? But how often do we do that, right? So let me use some other dumb examples. Your friend invites you to do something, and you don't really want to do it, you know? 
Like you'd much rather like scroll on whatever TikTok and whatever. You don't you do your own thing, right? And so you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy. You're not busy. You just don't want to do it. You don't want to like let go of your own desires for a moment to show support and love for your friend's performance or their sporting sport match or whatever it is. Sport match, who talks like that? Anyway, um, this is impossible for us. And when Paul is saying this, uh, what, the way he's using this is he's saying all of the law, everything in the Hebrew scripture is fulfilled in this one word where he's saying, if you love this person as you love yourself, uh, you won't break any of the rules. You won't murder them. You won't lie to them. You won't covet their cow. Like, you won't do any of that stuff if you really love them as yourself. And when you come to this passage, Paul is saying this is impossible. The only way you can do this is because Jesus did it first. When, when Jesus says, when a, a Pharisee asks him, what is the greatest commandment in the Hebrew scripture? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he quotes this passage. What is he saying? The first thing you have to do in order to be able to love other people is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind. So there is always a vertical relationship with God that empowers you to love horizontally. And what does that look like? This is where Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, um, the, we live, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Where Jesus was the perfect other-centered man and God who laid down everything. He served us at great cost to himself so that we could be set free, so that we could be healed and transformed and even have a new heart and have our lives uh, supernaturally empowered to love one another in this way. That is the only way it's possible to do it because this is such a high bar. This is so difficult to put into practice. And so Paul is saying it's impossible to do, but with Christ, it is possible. And so in the book of 1 John, the apostle writes, we love one another because God first loved us. And so this is like the engine uh, that is running all of your Christian life, your service for other people. This is why I say over and over again, if you're serving out of guilt and shame, stop serving. Don't do anything for God if your inner life with God is resentful and bitter, don't do anything for God. Understand how much God loves and accepts you when you do nothing for him. And then out of that love, you will want to love the people God loves. And here's the other thing. This is not dehumanizing. This doesn't make you a doormat. It doesn't suck you dry. Like there's a thing called compassion fatigue. So Yvonne knows about this where people in helping professions like doctors, nurses, counselors, have much higher rates of mental illness and personal struggles because they're always giving of themselves. Um, they're always sacrificing their own good for the good of their patients, and they don't take care of themselves, right? You will have compassion fatigue if you try to love people on your own effort. But if you experience the love of God, the love of God for you, that he expressed in Jesus Christ, that is the engine in your heart that empowers you to love other people in the way that Jesus loves. And I mean, honestly, this is what, this is what I believe it is. Like, I believe it's supernatural. I believe that God is real, that Jesus died and he rose again, 
and that he has changed my heart in a real supernatural way that empowers me to love people differently. And then not only that, I need to rely on him every single day so I can try my best, I can to live out this other-centered love. Um, and this is totally freeing. This is actually totally freeing. So let me end with um, an example of what this looks like. Um, it is actually far more joyful to serve other people and lose yourself. Uh, Jesus says, lose yourself so that you may gain it. Um, but, okay, let me, use, let me use this one kind of concept that I want to end with. Uh, what you need to do to be able to love people in this way is to be self-forgetful. This is, again, from C.S. Lewis. This is a concept that's really, really beautiful because to forget yourself is to stop making it all about you. Do you know what I mean? So, like, here's, here's an example. Um, you, I, I was hanging out with a bunch of my neighbors who I'd never met before, and so... I, I was invited by one of my neighbors who I knew to a backyard party where there's a bunch of people who, we've, who I've never met. It's awkward. It's difficult to know how to talk to them. If you feel so awkward and uncomfortable that you don't talk to anyone, the reason you're doing it is because you're making it all about yourself and you're so self-conscious and you're not willing to serve the other person by saying, oh, what's your name? Like, what do you do? You're, you're like, there, you can operate in the sense where it's all about how you're feeling and let that determine how you respond to the other person, or you can try to say, look, I'm in, I'm, I feel awkward, this is uncomfortable, but they probably feel uncomfortable too. Let me try to help serve them by making conversation, by making small talk, trying to find a point of connection so that we can actually feel a little bit more comfortable and interact. Do you kind of see what I'm saying there? You have to forget yourself for a moment. And then the incredible thing is, when you really love someone and you serve them, it's not a pain, it's not a burden, it's actually joyful because when you do something for someone you love, you experience the joy of their pleasure in your service. So, I mean, I always use this example, but it's like when I do something for Ashley, uh, sometimes I don't wanna do it, sometimes it's painful and difficult. It is, love in real life, it's difficult. But when I'm willing to forget my own preferences in that second and wash the dishes for her, I get pleasure and joy in serving her and the fact that she doesn't have to do it. When it comes to my relationship with my son, my son wants me to do all kinds of crazy stuff, like at the end of the day when he's going to bed, he wants me to chase him around on all fours, he wants to crawl on my head and like headbutt me and like do all this fun stuff. But it is such a great joy to serve him by playing with him because when he laughs and smiles, that gives me so much joy. I can't even express it to you. And so this is, the, this is like the secret. When you really love that person, when your heart is transformed by God's love for that person, when you imagine for a second how God feels about that person, even that person who's difficult, how much he loves them, when you see a tiny picture of that, that can empower you to serve them and love them and improve their life, like to, to help them, to do something good for them, to make them feel comfortable, to take a load off their back, and then that is actually life-giving for you to serve. And so, again, I can use examples. Um, they, there have been widely established studies, for example, um, if you're struggling with de depression, the best, one of the best things to do is to do something to help someone else. Isn't that weird? If you as a depressed person, now, okay, I'm, I wanna be careful. Like, 
I struggle with depression. I know what it's like. It's not easy. But if you as a depressed person, if all you do is think about how bad you feel and you're never able to forget yourself for a moment, you're never able to enjoy something, even though it feels like impossible, if you can just perform the action of saying, this is a, Sabrina is a person too, and it looks like she needs help with something. Can I like help her? I'm going to forget how I'm feeling right now and try to help her. That actually changes how you feel very often. And it can improve your depression by helping a person. And so this is the key. This is why God tells us to do this, to love one another as we love ourselves, because God wants us to thrive. God loves us, and he wants us to experience the joy of these healthy relationships where we are sharing the love that God has given us to other people. Um, and so I just want to end with this, implications of this. Uh, the best, the best, okay, is it the best? One of the best markers of your spiritual maturity is not how talented you are, not what you can do, not how much you even serve in church, but it is your love for other believers and other people in your life in general. And this is extraordinarily challenging. Get all the seminary training you want, preach the best sermons you want, do miracles for God. If you don't love people, if you don't forget yourself in service to other people, you got nothing. This is what the New Testament says about understanding the love of God. If you really understand the love of God, if you know how much he cherishes and delights in you, your inner life will be transformed and you will express it through practical, tangible love for the people around you. And that will be joy for you because you are pleasing the God who you love. You get me? When you experience God's love for you, you will love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. When you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, you want to love the people he loves. And so you give of yourself, self-sacrifice, self-serving, not self-serving, you serve, you let go of yourself to serve others out of your love for God. And really that's what Jesus did in Philippians chapter two. It says, uh, Jesus Christ took the form of a servant. He humbled himself to serve us so that we could be free, so that we could have this life with God. And if we say we're followers of Jesus, but we think life is about holding on to your personal autonomy and never doing anything that's costly or sacrificial, what are we, <laughs> what are we doing? That's, we say we follow Jesus. Let's express it through our love for one another. This is not out of obligation. It's not out of coercion. It's out of a changed heart. When we know God's love, our love for other people will be genuine, and you will stop being such a dummy like me, okay? Let's pray. Dear love, whoa, dear God. <laughs> I mean, First John says God is love, so I can just address him as love. No, but um, dear God, we thank you so much uh, that you loved us first. And God, I pray that we would just be able to um, soak and stay and remain in your incredible love for us that you expressed through Jesus. While we're still sinners, while we were at our worst, you loved us and you sent him to die for us, to sacrifice, to serve us, so that we could be uplifted. And so Lord, I pray that you would supernaturally change our hearts, um, that we would experience humility 
and desperation for relational health in our lives, and you would help us to realize, God, help me to love. I don't want to simply demand other people to love me the way I want, but I want to be the good friend, the good spouse, the good parent who's able to lay down my life for my kids, for my husband, for whoever it might be. But I need your help to do that, God, because I still see in myself the struggle of self-centeredness, um, the struggle of sin. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be able to give that to you and you would respond by helping us forgive those who hurt us, um, that we would be able to pray for them and love the people who are most difficult for us to love. And it would be an amazing, glorifying expression of your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.